Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. All right. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to a late but hopefully still great episode of Terror and Podneo. I'm Palmer and this week you're just going to hear from the dynamic duo, the masters of the microphones, the horror homies themselves, myself and Sam. Yeah! Our sultry, dulcet tones. Yeah, we don't need no no stinking third person. No, we, we've done this before. We've done this. It's just us. This will be awesome. I mean, I mean, let's be real. It's really the same episode as usual without the third person just sitting there listening to the two of us talk. That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're 100% correct. And uh, I don't say that often to you. No, I don't blame you either. <laughs> Uh, we did have a guest planned out this week, but he canceled, so that ended up falling to the wayside, but that's neither here nor there. We've got this one recording for you late on a Monday, destined to confuse you and make you wonder if you lost your sanity when you don't wake up on Saturday to a brand new episode. <laughs> We're kind of, I liken it to uh, this coming weekend, we uh, set our clocks back an hour. Yes. So in honor of that, we're giving two episodes this week to really just mess with people's heads. Really? You know, that's right the again. angle I should have gone with it. I'm right and, again. Yeah. Look at you. God damn it, Sam. I'm on a roll. This is why it's not just you and me, because you're right far too often. Everything's going to go awful on Thursday <laughs> for the next episode, by the way. Just prepare yourselves. <laughs> it's all right. We'll endeavor to make it up to you. Uh, this week, we've got a couple fun older horror headlines to discuss. And I, I tacked on a couple on... of new ones, just small ones, just because. Okay, uh, and we're continuing our look at horror franchises that were popular at one point, but have been thrown to the wayside during the remake era. But before we begin, I saw Zombieland. Double tap. What'd you think? <clears throat> it was good. Yeah? Uh, well, it was fun. I don't know if it was good. It was fun. It was more Zombieland, but like, kind of felt like they were phoning it in. Mm. Okay. So, take that as you will. I enjoyed it. I laughed. I don't think it was as good as the first one. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any wine because I'm late anyways, as per usual, and I didn't have time to go buy a bottle. But that's okay. You guys aren't here for the wine this week. You know what? Speaking of wine, though, real quick, hmm. uh, I did actually go. I figured if I could find Sledgehammer anywhere, it would be at Total Wine. Did, was it there? No. Damn and it. I, I talked to the guy. They don't have a distributor for that wine on the East Coast. So anymore. then how did that? I think what Kroger happened was it, it it was a one-off small distribution to like various places around the country. Yeah. Just to kind of gauge interest. But they had a whole bunch. But they haven't had any since. Yeah, I guess and it's true. And no one else has either. So huh. it, it does still exist. Right. But just not here right now. Apparently, this state is not good enough for wine for men. Apparently not. It's, it's, it's a red state only wine. <laughs> to go with its bright red labels for men. Yes. Men. But it made me a little sad. 
Yeah, it makes me sad too. I feel like we got the taste of the good life, and now it's been like snatched away from us. Yeah, but I did. I I had to confirm just to make sure that like we weren't hallucinating about this wine. So it, it is real. It does exist. Watch Aldi carry it. Yeah, it's gonna. Sh- but again, it'll show up that one time and then disappear. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some horror headlines. Let's do it. All right, kicking things off this week, uh, Burger King is introducing the Ghost Whopper. Burger King is no stranger to Halloween-themed foods, especially Halloween-themed food whoppers, whopper foods, burgers. This year is no exception. <laughs> uh, we had the Nightmare King last year. We had the Halloween Whopper the year before that. Remember, that was the one that was dyed black and turned everybody's poop screen. Yep. Uh, and now we've got a ghost white whopper. Who knows what color that'll turn your poop? Reports have yet to come in <laughs> on this one. So I'm my vote is blue. Yeah, that would be weird enough <laughs> for a white burger. Yeah. 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 Uh, regardless, it's officially available uh, on 1024, but it's only available at 10 restaurants, which fucking sucks. Yeah, man. I'm not going to be able to uh, regale our listeners with... Tales of your, your Tales bowel of my movements. tasty treats on Halloween Eve. <laughs> the locations are as follows Detroit, Memphis, Philadelphia, Phoenix, San Antonio, San Diego, San Francisco, Savannah, Somerville, and New Orleans. Where is Somerville? I don't know. That's a good question. It sounds like something from a horror movie, though, so I can see why they picked it. Yeah. Don't go to Somerville. <laughs> it's always winter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you live in one of those areas and can secure one, put it on ice and mail it to us. We'll thank you on the cast. <laughs> Moving did, on. Did you watch the commercial? I did, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, was, that was something. Uh, HBO's, the, uh, HBO's adaptation of The Outsider gets a teaser trailer. Uh, looked, I don't know. That, that kind of said it all. <laughs> it, it looked... Fine. Yeah. It, I don't it, know. I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, it looked like every other Stephen King adaptation that's going on right now that's not a movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the series is set to premiere on January 12th, kickstarting 2020 with A Taste of King's new harrowing crime thriller. Um, the 10-episode series will start Bill Camp, Mayor Winningham, and Patty Considine, mm-hmm. I think is how you pronounce her last name, and tons more. Uh, for those that don't and know... Jason Bateman. Yes, Jason Bateman as, also. As the main... As the titular uh, hero of sorts. Hero-ish? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, he, he falsely accused yeah. hero. Our red herring. Yes. Uh, for those that don't know, the series follows a police detective named Ralph Anderson uh, as he sets out to investigate the mutilated body of an 11-year-old named Frankie Peterson found in the Georgia woods. The mysterious circumstances surrounding this horrifying crime leads Ralph, still grieving the recent death of his own son, to being... Or, or to bring in unorthodox uh, private investigator Holly Gibney, whose uncanny abilities he hopes will help explain the unexplainable. Um, we'll post a link to the trailer in the podcast description. But yeah, like I said, I think I think it looks good. Um, HBO always has top-notch production values, and this show is is definitely along those lines. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how they're going to salvage the ending of this book. Because I mean, it wasn't the it, same way everybody salvages the endings of every Stephen King just book. Just rewrites them. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't quite as bad as something like Under the Dome, but the book could have used a stronger ending than what was presented. Uh, we'll see if the miniseries manages to improve upon it or 
if they're just going to stick with what King laid out for us. Either way, I'm checking it out once it's released. Yeah. Uh, we'll include the uh, link for the trailer in the podcast description. Blumhouse, it's remaking The Craft, and it offered up a surprising casting announcement. Uh, the Craft remake, which I believe both Alex and Sam are immensely more excited for than me. Uh, I'm reserved. Okay. I'm reserved. All right. I don't know how well this movie gets done these days, especially considering how I'm seeing them remake other movies from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it is a thing. Um, uh, there's been rumors, stories, all sorts of stuff circling around the Hollywood drain pipe for some, some time now. I think we first started discussing rumors about this about a year and a half ago. Yeah. That's the earliest I could find mention of it. Um, being penned by actress turned producer slash director Zoe Lister-Jones, who most people will know from the, the Fox show New Girl. Or, uh, I guess, recently Life in Pieces. I have never seen Life in Pieces. Um, David Duchovny has been added to the cast. He have, I haven't been able to find any details on his role, but the fans of the original film are more than free to speculate as to who he might be. I admit I am not familiar enough with the film to be able to offer up my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Duchovny joins uh, Kaylee Spaney, uh, Gideon Art, Art Adlin, uh, Lovey Simone, and Zoe uh, Luna who are all start, set to star as main characters, but the only one with a specifically announced role so far seems to be Kaylee Spinney, who is playing Hannah. I couldn't find any information on who the rest of the characters are supposed to be well, playing. She's also the only one who's got like something you would know them from listed next to their name that I actually know. Pacific Rim? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know any of the rest of them. So we'll be talking about this one, I'm sure, more as time goes on. I can't wait to make you do this as a double feature, uh, original versus remake. Mm. <laughs> I'm triggered already. <laughs> uh, Bruce Campbell spills his guts on the new Evil Dead film. Uh, Campbell's officially sitting out of the, anything new with the Evil Dead franchise, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the franchise hell. If the 2013 remake has anything to say about it, then the franchise is just beginning anew. But who better to get some new info from than the man who played Ash himself? In a recent panel at the Rock and Shock Convention in Massachusetts, Campbell stated the following. So we think we've got a cool premise. We have a new filmmaker that Sam Raimi has hand-chosen. He's very involved in it, will be very involved in the story, and we'll try to make sure uh, the actors don't completely suck. <laughs> and then we're going to make another one. Yeah, there's lots of stories, creepy books, lots lots of people to torment. Um, makes sense. Yeah. It's definitely one of those franchises that lends itself to being, I mean, wherever the book is, the hell will follow, right? Yeah. So I'm it, curious which direction they go, whether they go like the more serious Fed Alvarez direction yeah. or if they go like the the pseudo serious but still campy original movies version or if they go like ash versus evil dead just like jokey kind of campy stuff yeah i'm not really sure because sam raimi was was pretty involved in the 2013 remake also yeah. so it's it uh, you know it'll and be I mean, he was on board with alvarez doing another doing, one if yeah, alvarez wanted just, to. it just didn't seem like they could get their schedules to align or maybe alvarez lost interest or something i'm i'm not 100 percent sure um, he's just going to be forever working on Don't Breathe sequels, apparently. Yeah. Because um, I have not seen anything about Don't Breathe 2 mm -hmm. since like they announced that they were beginning initial shooting. But that, yes. I feel like that was a year ago. It was a while back. Which is a long time in movie... I mean, with the way that they're churning out movies these days, you know, it's like, what, 
pre-production to editing floor in less than a year usually these days. Yeah. So kind of makes me wonder what's going on with that one. But that being said, what exactly do we learn from this piece of non-news? Well, we gather that there's something in the works. We just don't know who, why, where, when, or how. But we know something is happening. Ash vs. Evil Dead will not be the end of this franchise. And though the rest of the details are scarce, fans can take comfort in knowing that the franchise they know and love isn't going anywhere. So get your chainsaw hand prepped. Finally, at least finally for me, sounds like Sam's appending this with some of his own tales a little bit here in a minute. Finally, uh, Robert Eggers talks about his next film. I don't think either you haven't seen The Lighthouse yet, right? No, I, have I think not. I'm going to try to check it out tomorrow. Um, neither of us has seen The Lighthouse yet, but that doesn't mean that people out there haven't. Uh, I plan on checking it out as soon as I can. Um, yeah, like I said, maybe tomorrow. I think I think Kelly's going to go try to help Alex with the with the baby tomorrow night, mm. so I might go check it out tomorrow. Um, it's getting great scores. It is, yeah. Uh, it also hasn't stopped Eggers from sharing bits about his next film called The Northman. What is The Northman exactly? Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's described as a Viking revenge saga. Do I really, really need to say anything more than that? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I need anything else. Nope. <laughs> Knowing Edgar's ability to channel the supernatural <laughs> and then inject his films with the overarching sense of unease, uh, I certainly hope this tale will be no different. He's got a knack for historical pieces, so I'm I'm glad to see that he's kind of doing stuff still within his comfort zone. It's not like there's any shortage of stuff he can do. But will there be historical seagulls? Probably. There better be. <laughs> there better be seagulls. So this is one of the things I added. So speaking of seagulls, yes. just, uh, this all started, I guess, almost two weeks ago at this point when I sent you an article from The Ringer yeah. about how seagulls are the horror animal du jour. Yeah. And uh, it was the article was comparing the seagulls and the shallows. Uh, being, Which is the one with the Gossip Girl star, right? Uh, yeah. What the hell's her name? Uh... I don't know. I've seen the movie. It's not particularly great. Um, I thought it was supposed to be pretty good. I haven't. I don't know that I've seen it either. I keep wanting to call her Selma Blake Lively. Yeah, Blake Lively. That's not Selma Blair Uh, at all. So there's a seagull in that movie called uh, Steven Seagull. Uh, Oh really? Yeah, that's that's what she names it. Um, And how the the seagull was one of the best parts of the movie, Uh, but they're also apparently wildly important in uh, the lighthouse. so I sent you that article, and you called my bluff and mm-hmm. uh, raised me in an article from Bloody Disgusting with direct quotes from Robert Eggers. <laughs> uh, these quotes include, the script was called One Eye before he laughs and quickly corrects himself. I'm sorry, the script is called The Lighthouse. The seagull was called One Eye in the script. The gull was played by Lady, Tramp, and Johnny. So three different seagulls played this one seagull in the movie. Uh, he then goes on to talk about the goat who played Black Phillip in The Witch, Charlie. Yeah who is notoriously difficult to work with um, and says that the he seagulls seems like a stubborn goat. Yeah. He says the seagulls were incredibly easy to work with and incredibly intelligent and incredibly well-trained and incredibly cooperative. He's the word incredibly way too much. Yeah. Uh, he continues to say, you can't train a goat. You can't, you can't. So I don't recommend making a movie with a goat in a major role for, to anyone. <laughs> uh, so on that note, seagulls forever. Okay, well, you like seagulls, apparently. Yeah, um, and then the only little tidbit uh, that I added to the list, uh, a little bit of news on Terrifier 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So this was not originally on our list. It came out, I guess, probably the same day we were originally supposed to record this. Yeah. Uh, but I figured I'd throw it in. Yep. So, of course, our good friend David uh, Howard Thornton is reprising the role of the killer clown. Mm-hmm. Um, added to the list is Lauren Lavera from Clinton Road on board to play the sequel's female lead. Um, and then over the weekend, uh, or earlier in the week on Instagram, yeah. uh, Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp confirmed she will also be playing in the movie as Miss Principi. Principi? Principi? Principi. Something like that. Uh, going on to say, this will be an epic film and I am thrilled to be involved. Um, she's also confirmed that Jason Lively from Night of the Creeps and Tamara Glenn from Halloween 5, The yeah, Revenge of Michael getting, Myers, are signed everybody. on. Um, and this movie is a long ways away. It is a long just ways away. Just about a whole year. Uh, so they're, it's tenant. Well, uh, yeah, a whole year. It's tentatively scheduled for October of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah. think it'll be worth the wait, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just from the the I've been following because we we backed it. Yeah, we bought a a poster. Yep. Um, to put with all our other Terra and Podnito stuff. because uh, we're all such huge fans of Terrifier. Um. So as a result, we get regular updates yep. in the email about the campaign and everything. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it seems like they're making all the right moves. The progress is, is headed in the right direction. But yeah, that movie's still a ways away from being realized. He keeps teasing this scene that is going to be like absolutely yeah. bonkers, apparently. That'll top anything that we saw in the first one. Yeah. And I just... I can't wait. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to have my jaw hit the floor just as much as it did with the first one during that saw scene. Because that shit, like, who, who, buddy, who, buddy. Yeah, and you know, considering the movie we're talking about tonight and some of the things we're going to talk about, this mm-hmm. movie is going to get mentioned again. Pro- yeah, probably, probably, probably. Uh, do you have anything else? Uh, no, just a just a bunch of home movies to watch for the now slaying. All right, let's do it. All right, so kicking it off this week, uh, Trick on ten eighteen from RLJE Films on VOD on Halloween night in twenty fifteen. Patrick Trick Weaver massacred his classmates at a costume party. After being arrested, he managed to escape police custody, but not before being shot five times by Detective Mike Denver. What's this one called again? Sorry, Trick. I heard this was actual dog shit. I believe it, uh, and we're <laughs> gonna get to why. Everyone believes Trick must be dead, but when a mass killer reappears the following Halloween, and every Halloween after that, they realize the nightmare is not over. With Trick wreaking havoc and killing people in increasingly terrifying ways, Denver will stop at nothing to finish what he started and bring the carnage to an end. Why, you might ask, do we think this movie is complete fucking garbage? In my notes, I say, what the fuck is this movie? Omar Epps is in it, Tom Atkins is in it, Jamie Kennedy is in it, and director Patrick Lussier and writer Todd Farmer also worked together previously on My Bloody Valentine 3D and Drive Angry. It, oh. Every single thing about this movie sounds fucking awful. I didn't think My Bloody Valentine... It's not a particularly good film, but it's not... I didn't think that was awful. Uh, Drive Angry was... That was... That was <laughs> that something. Was, that was something. <laughs> that movie was something. Uh, but if you want to know what Omar Epps has been up to... Uh, Here's your chance. Yeah, I guess that's a reason to find out. <laughs> otherwise, other I have heard nothing but terrible things about this movie. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to hear anything good about it, which probably means I'm going to end up watching it. <laughs> uh, it'll fit nicely in line with all the stuff I've been watching over the last week and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castle Rock Season 2 dropped on Hulu on the 23rd. Uh, 
more Stephen King goodness and madness, bits and pieces all tied together. Uh, some of some people calling it uh, the misery origin story for Annie Wilkes. Yep. Uh, so check that out on Hulu if you are uh, a fan of Castle Rock or just a fan of Stephen King and just can't get enough. Can't get enough of the stuff. Next up on VOD from Universal on the 22nd, we've got Sweetheart. Jen finds herself completely alone on a small tropical island after her boat goes down. By day, every ounce of her strength, cunning, and courage is strained, simply to find food, outlast the elements, and survive. But as the sun sets, Jen's waking nightmare inexorably grows into terror when a malevolent force comes to stalk the jungle for prey. (laughs) But it's the black smoke monster from Lost. I hope so. (laughs) I really do. You just imagine her just knocking on like a, like a, a... Coconut tree trunk just being, hello, (laughs) malevolent force, please don't eat me. (laughs) Next up on the 25th on VOD from Screen Media, we've got Portals. This film is set around a series of worldwide blackouts after which millions of mysterious cosmic anomalies appear everywhere across the planet. While many flee from the sentient objects, some people are drawn towards and into them with horrifying consequences. Hmm. Uh, I like consequences. Consequences. I like that more. Um, so this is a sci-fi horror anthology with segments directed by uh, Eduardo Sanchez, who did the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. Lovely Molly, uh, Greg Hale, who was in VHS2, uh, Timo Tejanto from Macabre, also VHS2, uh, and Liam O'Donnell from Beyond Skyline. Okay. Um, so, you know, not enough anthologies in the world. Nope. N- nice to see them uh, starting to make a comeback, it seems. There's been quite a few of them lately. Yeah, there have been. I was uh, glad ne- to see more. Next up in theaters this week, we've got Countdown came out on the 25th from Wrigley Pictures. When a young nurse downloads an app that claims to predict exactly when a person is going to die, it <laughs> tells her she has only three days to live. Hmm. With time ticking away and a mysterious figure haunting her, she must find a way to save her life before time runs out. Oof. Uh, watch the trailer for it. Uh, looks like the PG-13 movie that it's rated. Okay. Um... Next on VOD from Blumhouse on the 25th, we got The Gallows Act 2. Did you ever see the first one? Nope. Okay, neither did I. Uh, So this doesn't make any sense to me, and I watched the trailer. It still didn't make sense to me, but it will make sense to someone out there. After Anna Rue... After, yeah, the two people that have seen it. Yeah. Well, more than that if they made a sequel, I guess. (laughs) Seven people. (laughs) Uh, After Anna Rue, a teenage vlogger slash aspiring actress, logs on to a sinister website... She is soon trapped in the malevolent world of a cursed stage play, The Gallows. After performing a passage from the play for her tiny online fan base, she instantly achieves the stardom she seeks, as well as a twisted challenge from a deadly spirit known as the Hangman. Ooh. Ooh. Next, we got Girl on the Third Floor from Dark Sky Films on the 25th on VOD. Dan tries to renovate a rundown house with a sordid history for his growing family. Only to learn that the house has other plans. As is usually the case. Yeah. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Nope. Not with houses, especially. Um, And this one stars yet another wrestler gone actor, CM Punk. Good for him. Man. I'm just, I'm so glad that he's branching out beyond just rabbit. You know, the the rabbit was his, his, his Ah, platform to leap from. Forgot about that. And now he's just swimming. He's swimming along with the other actors and. In their seas of, it's of, nice to see them making like he 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 seems dedicated to the horror community. That doesn't surprise me from CM yeah. Punk. To can't, be I can't wait to meet him and get body slammed at next year's scares that care. Yeah, that'll be fun. And finally, this week on the twenty fifth, we got 
something on Netflix called Rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. Katrina is a single mother driving across country to start a new life with her young daughter, Clara. Damn her- it, Katrina. <laughs> when their car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, as Katrina changes she the tire. She's going to New Orleans. Probably. <laughs> Clara wanders off in the desert road and is bitten by a venomous rattlesnake, as opposed to the non-venomous rattlesnakes. Desperate to save her daughter's life, Katrina accepts the help of a mysterious woman, but after she miraculously heals Clara, Katrina is asked to repay the good deed by killing a stranger in exchange for the life saved. Without time to lose, she must wrestle with the morality of who deserves to live and who should die before her daughter's life is once again put in peril at sundown. Hmm. Um, This one also stars Theo Rossi, best known as Shades from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, mm. And there's no word on whether or not Peggy Song shows up. Damn it. But there, everything is incomplete without Peggy Songs. Yeah. Also, I'm going to be a lot more happy when this turns out to be a uh, comedy, a family comedy, <laughs> where they are on a road trip to New Orleans, New Orleans and her daughter accidentally breaks the levees. <laughs> everything just goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> And she just looks at the, looks at the camera and is just like, whoops, did it again. Play uh, Benny Hill theme and <laughs> cue antics. Bam. That's an Oscar-worthy comedy right there. Love the antics. <laughs> Love the antics. But uh, that that's a, a big list of stuff that you guys can check out this week without leaving your couch. All right. Well, if that wraps it up, you ready to go backpacking, buddy? I am. I am the first in line for the sneeper. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about this. This guy. Does fucking... that mean I have to take second shot at the sneeper? <laughs> <laughs> What's what is sneeper? It's the clit. <laughs> you know the 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 man in the boat. <laughs> the clitoris. <laughs> fucking movie. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. All right, the main event, Hostel, came out in 2007. It's written and directed by Eli Roth. It stars Jay Hernandez as Paxton, Derek Richardson as Josh, Iber Gojani on 7. That was 2005. Uh, no, it had to be a 2007. I graduated high school no, in 2007. No, part two was 2007. Was it? Yeah, this one was 2005. Oh, my tits. All it's right. even older. Is it really 2005? Yeah. Okay. You might All not right. have seen it until the 2007. No, because we saw it in theaters when it was released. Me and uh, uh, Eric Christmas, the kid that vomited yep. all over your floor. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Man, you yeah. saw it as a senior in high school. No, it was definitely freshman year of college because I was I didn't no, know Eric until, until so it must have been like the Second, before yeah later half of two thousand five yeah yes. yeah it must have been um where was I oh I Bergogin Janssen as Oily Ollie Oily Oily Ollie he is kind Ollie. of oily he is kind of oily it's Ollie. all that sneeper yeah it's all that <laughs> uh, Jennifer Lim is Kana. Barbara Neanderdani Vianca <laughs> as uh, Natalia. John Akiarndabani Ivanka as Svetlana. Uh, John Vlasiavanka uh, as the Dutch businessman. He's got the easiest name. It's Vlasic. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Hoffman as the American client. Uh, Kiko Seiko as Yuki. Takashi Miike making a uh, cameo as a Japanese sadist. Yep. Uh, 
uh, and Milda Yeti uh, Havlas as the desk clerk Yeti. Yep. Uh, special effects done by horror staple, staple Greg Nicotero and Har- Howard Berger alongside their industry famous KNB. Yep. EFX group. Um, Hostel. So before we dive into this, yep. the only thing that I remembered from this movie, because it's been so long since I've seen it, uh-huh. I thought was actually the beginning of the second movie. Oh. Where Kana jumps in front of the train. You thought that was the be- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Fair I was enough. like, what? Like, I did not remember a single thing in this movie until that point. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's been a while for me, too, and I did realize that this... I think I've said on the podcast before that I thought that the first one was better than the second one. Not upon anymore. Re- upon rewatching <laughs> these films, the second one is superior in almost every fucking way. <laughs> so I know you've had a few extra days, but I know that we've both been busy. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to watch the Bollywood remake yet? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I watched part three instead and realized why I chose to never rewatch part three after <laughs> seeing it the one time because that movie is... Not really enough sneaper. Not, it's just no, there's no sneaper. Uh, Hostel is a film written and directed by controversial horror figure Eli Roth. Coming hot off the heels of his success with 2002's Cabin Fever, Roth was given praise and free reign on a new project from several industry figures. One in particular being that of uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. He uh, apparently um, saw Cabin Fever and immediately reached out to Roth. I was like obsessed with Eli Roth from yeah. what I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Offered to produce his next film, um, Roth was was offered a whole bunch of opportunities to direct remakes of Last House on the Left, The Fog, and uh, Platinum Dooms series of remakes for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, he turned them all down instead of pursuing the idea of something he saw online for a Thai murder vacation. So, yeah. Uh, so, so a little bit in that he goes into kind of explaining that in an interview with Dread Central. Mm-hmm. Um and saying that it started with a conversation with Harry Knowles where they were talking about, you know, the craziest shit you've seen online. Um, like, the uh, apparently there was a guy in Texas who set it up so you could control a gun and hunt lions and wild game online. Uh, but the FBI had, like, shut him down. Uh, his <laughs> legal right. defense apparently was to help handicap people so they could hunt. Um, uh. But then he said, why wouldn't they just put a human being in a room? And that's where Harry told him that uh, he found something like that and sent him a link to a website where you could go to Thailand and for ten grand walk into a room and shoot somebody in the head. Yep. Uh, Why person, is all this stuff like always supposed to take place in like Thailand or like Eastern Europe or like? Well, I'll get to that as well. Okay. Um, so he did. Uh, Eli Roth did go to the website and he said it was real, but you had to give a credit card information. At which point, uh, he said, "I wanted to do a documentary about it, and it's like to get any further, I would have to have given my personal information." And I figure since these people kill other people for a living, I'm not going to find out. Yeah. Um, Probably the best decision you've ever made, Eli yeah. Roth. Um, he says, whether this place exists or not is not important. The point is somebody built a website about it. Somebody thought it up, realized and conceptualized this site, and they figured that there's some guy out there so bored with money and drugs that they can't get off from going to a hooker or strip club or doing drugs. They're looking for the next level of thrill, and that, I said, was real. I know people like that. I can see someone... Uh, where money just means nothing. They've got all these things and they're numb and they want to walk into a room and just kill someone without any consequences. So why, you asked, uh, does this always take place in Eastern Europe or Thailand or someplace like that? Uh, So in a BBC interview uh, slash article, it was kind of mixed together, in 2006, uh, 
Slovak and Czech officials were disgusted and outraged by the film's yeah, portrayal. Yeah, they were really mad. Um, fearing it would damage the good reputation of Slovakia and make <laughs> foreigners feel it was a dangerous place to be. Yep. Uh, you know what Eli's response was? A lol and a shrug. Yeah. He said Americans don't even know that this country exists. <laughs> he's my, probably right, unfortunately. My he's film, probably right. My film is not a geographical work, but aims to show Americans' ignorance of the world around them. Uh, repeatedly arguing... <laughs> That despite the many films in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, people still travel to Texas. <laughs> that's his rationale for this. So that's why these movies exist. And it's always like the Eastern Bloc or Thailand. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. A Serbian film came out a couple years later after this one. And yeah. just, and just permanently because, cemented that Eastern Europe was a shithole. Yeah, because we don't know these places exist. We've never even heard of them. We've all seen that fucking clip on the Miss America pageant or whatever it is where she can't point to whatever country it was on a map. <laughs> It means so little to me. I don't even know what country she was trying to point to. Yeah, you heard. You guys, I'm sure a few of you fans have been listening long enough to 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 have heard our geographical nonsense. I for... am notoriously awful with geography myself. <laughs> you give me a, a map of the United States, and I guarantee you, I get ten of them wrong. I, I, if you give me I a would blank surpri- map, I would be surprised if you only got 10 of them wrong both you and alex <laughs> were just like making my jaw drop with i can that. get the i can get the east coast and i can get the west coast and i can get part of the bible belt everything else it's a fucking crapshoot for fair me fair enough fair, fair enough uh roth and tarantino immediately began brainstorming the film and it went through several phases the first being a found footage film of sorts that would highlight death vacation spots throughout the world that was quickly axed in favor of a fictional and more gratuitous narrative following travelers and their experiences the two immediately set off to plan where to set the film and after some time decided on setting the film in slovakia after discovering an abandoned wing of an old Prague hospital which is where principal photography occurred and where the final scenes of the film were shot uh, production took place in two very distinct phases. The first being the setup for the film, our introduction to the main characters, and their drug-fueled adventures in Amsterdam. Uh, Franco Giacomo Carboni, uh, production designer. That's a fake name if I ever heard right, one. Right, dude? Like, that's like a softcore porn name. <laughs> that's not a real name. That's a softcore porn name. That's oh, like Red Shoe Franco's Diaries. Franco's gonna give you his Carboni. Yeah, dude, you start along David Duchovny in the Red Shoe Diaries, man. They're not a productor. <laughs> production designer, get out of here. Uh, he aimed specifically for fetishism, <laughs> focusing on it throughout the film. The bright colors, the latex-clad uh, sex rooms, the drug culture, and the party-fueled atmosphere of Amsterdam all serve as one side of the fe- fetishistic spectrum, while on the latter half, the film indulges a more blood-soaked uh, side of excess. The The documentary of the film called Dissected, Carboni... Um, points out an old photo of a woman in an electric chair specifically cementing or commenting on the fact that the film drew from the fetishism of that photo so he's looking at this woman on who is on death row sitting in an electric chair in an old photo and he's like that is fetishistic right there we're gonna base the entire production design of the latter half of this movie on this one photo Good to know what gets him off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Good for, good for you, Mr. Carboni, if yeah. that is your real name. <laughs> uh, he specifically cited that they purposefully drain color from the sets as the film progresses and focus on more on the dark and bloodstained subject matter while citing executions as a source of inspiration for the film's torture factory and the presentation of its second act. 
in the end, the film focuses on one thing, excess. Maybe that explains the over 150 gallons of fake blood that were used for the shoot. I don't know. This movie is all about the consequences of living in excess, and it illustrates them, albeit in a bit of a puritanical way, clearly for fans of the horror genre. Uh, but we're no strangers to that thought process, at least the, to those that love slashers, because what is Hostel if not a slasher movie? Sure, there's no mass man stalking his victims, but that's because Hostel is an illustration of the convenience of the modern era. The killers don't have to find their victims. The killers make their victims come to them. It's an Amazon package. <laughs> Go to the store when you can just have whatever you want delivered. <laughs> so Jeff Bezos has a secret murder lair. Absolutely. That's... It, would, it would make sense. He is the richest man on the planet. Eli Roth has seen it, and that's why this movie exists. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't doubt it for a second. Me either. Me either. All right, let's jump into the synopsis. Uh, Hostel has a bit of a unique open. Instead of jumping directly into the title card or offering up cold opening uh, featuring creepy backstory or pointless victims that satisfy a horror audience's need for blood, viewers are shown a dark and dreary industrial warehouse complete with grody tile walls, dripping pipes, and swinging chains. A man is heard cleaning and tending to this facility while whistling a happy tune. It's like a really creepy version of the racist scene in uh, what what the hell was that old Disney movie? Was it Song of the South? Yes. <laughs> Every time I see the beginning of this movie, I just imagine that guy just like prancing with the little bluebird, just like whistling the entire time. That's uh, what goes through my head. Um, <laughs> nice to know what gets you off. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 eerie. And he uses uh, bokeh and, and close-ups and other camera tricks to kind of keep the viewer viewer disoriented and uncomfortable yeah um it's a really good way to set the tone for the film cut to the more stereotypical opening of a mid-2000s era uh, film loud grating cookie cutter alternative rock guys with their hair spiked in the front the pursuance of two things tits and weed college kids yes (laughs) mid-2000s college kids yes exactly we're introduced to college students paxton and josh who are traveling across europe with their icelandic friend ollie in a last-ditch effort to find some fun before they're first forced to crack down on the second half of their schooling paxton and josh are both both very stereotypical mid to early 2000s american frat types boisterous homophobic insecure and totally ignorant to their surroundings yep basically prime targets yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you yeah. saw any movie that had like college kids, comedy, horror, whatever, in the mid 2000s, these are your people. Yep. Absolutely. They're the perfect fodder for a film like this. Uh, and we as an audience know exactly where this is going to go from the get go, right? I just wonder because, like, as like we were in college at this point. Yep. Like, no, we were bad. Trust me. Is this like actually, is this an accurate portrayal of what we were like? Yeah. Probably. Probably. It probably is. I I like to think through, like, I like to see it through rose-tinted glasses, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, we were probably just as bad. Yep. Uh, In the Netherlands, they visited an Amsterdam nightclub followed by a brothel. Unable to get back into their hostel because of a curfew, they're bombarded with beer bottles for screaming to be let in after Ollie tries to basically sing a song at the top of their lungs. (laughs) Guten Tag! What a hey! What a Ollie's scene. a charmer. He is a charmer. I, he was out of everybody, out of the three main characters. I enjoyed him the most. It was sad that he died first. Yeah. Uh, 
They avoid the rain of glass by accepting the offer of a of a man named Alexi to stay at his apartment overnight. While there, he gives the trio a bunch of drugs and shows them where they can find easy women, claiming that all they have to do is stay in a hostel in Slovo- Slovakia and uh, they'll just come to them because of their American accents. Yeah, because that, that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's pause here for a second. <laughs> this guy, Alexi. He's funny-looking guy with a weird mark or mole or hair lip or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's lanky. He's nerdy. He's the type of guy that would assume that you would assume would just make up sex stories just to seem cool with the bros. I think we know some people like that. Yeah, but I also <laughs> looked at him and like the way he talks in this movie and the way he acts. I'm like, this guy's connected somewhere. Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. But these three, they openly just believe that Alexi... He shows them pictures. Well, he busts out the camera, shows them a few photos of him surrounded by women. On and his says, 2005 flip phone. <laughs> yeah. And he says, and I quote, come to Alexi. He opened up the pussy all over oh, the me. Europe. All <laughs> over the Europe. <laughs> oh, I don't know about you, dude, but there would be about 30 red flags going off in the back <laughs> of my head right now. <laughs> like, either this guy is going to try to turn me into a pussy and then open me up. <laughs> That's a whole different horror movie at this point. He just plays you alive and turns you into a giant six-foot this, vagina. This is the pussy in the Europe. Just like just jumps in head first. Wears you like a rain slicker. <laughs> or, you know, I'm just going to end up dead. That's the only two things that are going to be flying yeah. through my head at this time. This guy seems like the kind of person that Liam Neeson would hunt down. Absolutely. This is the guy who was on the phone, who was on the other end of the call when Liam Neeson like yes. called. He's like, hey. He also looks suspiciously a, like a younger version of the guy in John Wick that kills the dog. It, yes. Yes. It's Stereotypes work sometimes, apparently. In horror <laughs> movies and action movies, stereotypes work. You know what? Well done, Eli Roth. Well done. <laughs> he, set, he, he, he is responsible for Liam Neeson's late career resurgence yeah that's true and john wick and john wick. <laughs> i don't know in my opinion these these three really fucking deserve to die <laughs> that's all i have to say about it uh without question and solely based on one sketchy person's claims three idiots abandoned their awesome sounding <laughs> plans for spain and instead board a train to slovakia where they encounter a strange dutch businessman who touches josh's leg and tells him that he likes to eat food with his hands while creepily stuffing mouth his mouth with bits of what looks like turkey yeah uh Josh, feeling his sexuality threatened and his personal space violated, yells at the Dutch businessman and causing him, uh, causing him to leave, uh, basically avoiding, I guess, what could have been the most awkward setup for a Dutch on American old man college student <laughs> love in the history of amateur pornography. So I'd like to pause again right here <laughs> because I was talking to a random person that I met this past weekend at Nightmare on Plum Street. Right. We got into a conversation about so horror So how movies. did you end up over at Nightmare on Plum Street? Just the band was playing. Oh, okay, and okay, And okay. so Brenda had tickets and took me down there. Okay. Um, but I was talking to a because, couple of... Because Chip's f- band is what you want to listen to at a Halloween party. Well, no, it was one of those... I've, I didn't know that this was the same block party that I've heard about that's downtown every year. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I went. It was really cool. Um, uh-huh. And I saw some really cool costumes, met some really cool people, including uh, the two Justins that I'm now friends with on Facebook and are now... Uh, new listeners of our podcast, we were talking specifically about this and the movie Eurotrip, which I thought came out after this. It didn't. It didn't. It came out the year before. Okay. Up to this point, these movies are almost identical. 
including the weird European man touching oh, your yeah, leg on the train. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. I did and not make that wildly parallel. uncomfortable. Yeah, I did not make that parallel until you just pointed it yeah. out. But you were right. Up to this point, they are the same movie. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. And instead of ending up in Slovakia, they end up in Bratislava. (laughs) Which is still the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Find that one on a map, America, because I can't. Um, (laughs) Arriving in Slovakia, the trio of idiots depart the train to find a dilapidated station covered in uh, graffiti, littered with trash, and in dire need of a fresh coat of paint to cover up what? I can only imagine is the stains left behind from homeless waste. It's really just San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just not as bright. Yeah. 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 But uh, like bright on a sunny day. But it's like still pretty cloudy there. Bright for like more hopeful reasons. San Francisco is just like soul crushing. You take one look at like the rent for a closet and you're just like, I'm never ever <laughs> getting out of here. <laughs> uh, but seriously, these three kind of sport a look on their faces. Once they step off the train, that that is the visual visual equivalent to an audible gulp. Yep. Uh, you know that sound like Bugs Bunny would make on on occasion. He came face to face with Elmer Fudd. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, this look is only fleeting though, because they hop on a cab, and drive by the torture factory where they just make plastic. In quotes. <laughs> I read that the cab driver was hammered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the original cab cab driver was hammered, so they they didn't let obviously they didn't let him drive for that scene, and they they got a stunt double yeah. apparently. Um, how how funny is that, dude? <laughs> you have one job, and you can't even fucking do it. Think about what would have happened if they just would have done that with Jaws. <laughs> well, we have gotten any of those iconic scenes from a stunt double. No, I don't no. think so either. <laughs> I think I think there's a certain amount of acting that requires. But there's jumping. a reason he wasn't driving the boat at the time. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so, he had to go sing his sea shanties. So, so really, what the Jaws is trying to do is say, "Hey, like, drink. Don't don't get a DUI. Yeah, drink responsibly. Get get eaten by a shark <laughs> instead." <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Once they arrive, they're impressed by the beauty of the town and the grandeur of the hostel. And they find their roommates are two beautiful women named uh, Natalia and Svetlana. They invite them to a spa after (laughs) revealing their ample bosoms multiple times. (laughs) And then later take them to a nightclub. Josh Josh has a run-in with a gang of local kids, the Bubblegum Kids. The Bubblegum Kids. Um, The... Bubblegum kids are interesting. They were all actually homeless kids. Mm-hmm. That Eli Roth just was like, "Yo, star in this film, just yeah. be your, just be yourself. Yeah, <laughs> just cause a general ruckus." Uh, it's just funny to me considering that they make that they make an appearance again in the second film, and the majority of the cre- the gang is the same group of kids. Yeah. So how homeless were they if Eli Roth could find them again? <laughs> I mean, maybe Eli Roth gave them enough money to... This um, is their start. They, they channeled their funds from Hostel 1 and 2 yeah. into Roth IRAs that have <laughs> done nothing but grown in net worth in the years since. Sounds about right. <laughs> I, hope, I hope for their case that's actually what happened. But yeah. Uh, the kids... Basically, attempt to beat the crap out of Josh because he won't give them a dollar, right? <laughs> uh, but he's 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 saved by the unlikeliest of allies. Uh, 
awkward, awkward salad eating leg touching man. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Dutch businessman jumps in and intervenes, uh, assisting him with with well preventing his his inevitable assault. Yeah. I guess by by these children. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Josh wouldn't have any legs left over if Dutch businessman didn't step in. You see, like that group of kids walk around the corner and they're holding like lead pipes and baseball bats and shit. Yeah, they were gonna they were gonna leave him in a pile of broken bones, yeah. and that was just gonna be the end of it. Um, in return, Josh buys him a beer and apologizes for his reaction on the train, um, <laughs> and touches his leg as a sign of respect, <laughs> because apparently that's how that works. The Dutch businessman just kind of looks at him. And he's just like. So, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, Paxton and Josh have sex with Natalia and Svetlana, while Ollie uh, leaves with the desk girl, Vala. The next morning, Ollie doesn't return and cannot be contacted. The two are then approached by a Japanese woman named Kana, who shows them a photo of Ollie and her friend Yuki, who also coincidentally has gone missing later the group receives a message from ollie claiming that he has gone home elsewhere ollie is already killed and decapitated while yuki is being tortured so we get this like shot right of of ollie's head yep because we get the photo that says what uh on the cell phone that says what oh we're, we're on the train going home yeah and so it's just a picture of his head and uh yuki's in the background just like screaming. Yep. <laughs> because terrible things are happening to her. And apparently Ollie got off easy. Well, well maybe. maybe. We don't really got know. Off easy. Yeah, I, guess, I just assumed he was kind of like decapitated and that was the end of it. But Probably. I guess I guess that's true. We don't know what the hell happened to the rest of his body. It could have been terrible. Turned, he got, it got turned into a sneeper. <laughs> sneeper, sneeper. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's her friend's being tortured. Uh, they get the cell phone picture. Josh is anxious to leave because this whole thing is just triggering him, and it would be triggering me too because yeah. I don't understand what was going on, and all the red flags are really just saying, "Please, just get the fuck out of here while you still have a chance." But uh, considering that these two kids are idiots, and I really do mean idiots, it was a trio of idiots. Now it's just a duo of idiots. Uh, they decide to to pursue the pursue the sneeper for one last night. Uh, in fact, the way that it's sold, it, Paxton is <laughs> convincing Josh. All right, we could stay here one night with with Natalia and Svetlana, uh, or we could just leave. He says he says we could stay for one more night and fuck them both, and then go to Barcelona, or we could just go to go Barcelona and not fuck them. When I'm studying for the bar and you're writing your thesis, this is the kind of shit we're gonna think about. I don't think that's the kind of shit I'm going to be thinking about when I'm trying to write a thesis. No, no, not at all. And also, it's a really <laughs> dumb, like, illogical thing, because who's to say that they're not just going to find another Svetlana and what's-her-face at in Barcelona? Yeah, man. Come on. People travel. There's beautiful women in Barcelona. Everywhere in Europe. I don't understand what the issue is. Maybe just it's just on. because Barcelona's not going to like their American accents. Well, it might not be as easy. But... You know, yeah, it's fucking done. You'd have a life, <laughs> and, and they'd still be able to look back and remember the one night they, they did, did hook up yeah. with them. Yeah, no, they're, they're specifically when he's writing his thesis, he's specifically going to think about night two. You know what? It not is? night one. It's the greed. 
It's just the greed, yeah. you know? How many times have, have we learned throughout our lives that being greedy is just going to get you killed? This is the price you pay for free two-day delivery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you're coming along with the Amazon analogy. I love it. I love it. All right. In response, uh, both of these women later slip these guys' tranquilizers while making out, but only one of them reaches their entire intended destination. The other falls asleep after being locked inside the storage closet of a bar <laughs> that they were drinking in. What happens in the next scene is probably the film's most sadistic scene. Yeah. Uh, so Josh wakes up in a dungeon-like room. His head is hooded, but there's a little peephole. You know, yep. where he can kind of see the full table of surgical tools laid out in front of him. Uh, a masked man, later revealed to be the Dutch businessman, comes in and begins torturing him. Musing over his dream of being a surgeon, the Dutch businessman drills holes into Josh's body, slices his Achilles tendons, and then slits his throat with a scalpel. Yep. This whole sequence isn't that bad. <laughs> no, it's really not. I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it. I, I remember I remember it being more visceral. Yeah. Because in my head, and it, this is the thing that like this movie kind of kicked off, well, not kind of, this movie unofficially kicked off the torture porn title, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, but in my head, I remember... This being a seeing, lot more graphic. I remember seeing the drill going yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember seeing his Achilles get sliced. Yeah. You don't see any of no. it. It it's all happens always. off screen. You hear it. Yeah. But we've seen and talked about on this, uh, talked about on our episodes, much more graphic Oh yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. That are still in the same. I mean, shit. Um, some of the ones we'll talk about later, like uh, Grotesque. Yeah, that was a that was a big one that that came out during this era as yeah, well. Yeah, like way more graphic. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a bunch of smart cutaways in this that Eli Roth utilizes. Yeah. But the biggest thing I think that really sells this whole scene is brilliant sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, Roth holds back pretty significantly, really only offering glimpses of the gore. So like we see like the beginning of the drill going in, and then it cuts away, right? And it it's it cuts to hallway shots. Yeah. And there's just screaming ringing through the hallways. And then the ten, the tendons cutting, we see, like, the aftermath of it. Uh, but really, that's just, like, a layer of latex that Nicotero just threw on the back of their heels, yeah. right? Uh, but the sound makes it seem so much worse. The sputtering that he does, the puking that he does, because he's scared and he's in so much pain and whatever, and he's terrified... The puke that comes out of his mouth is like barely anything, but the, yeah. but the sound effect for it makes it sound like it's like just, just this uncontrollable. Because well, he's wearing like, a ball gag at first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he pukes a bunch of through the ball gag, right? But then he takes the gag off because they're talking there, having a conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's telling him, you know, about his, his past as wanting to be a surgeon and all that stuff. And then he throws up more. And like I really, what sells this whole thing is just the sound design. Yeah. And it, like if you watch, so I, I re, before uh, uh, we started recording, I re, went back and rewatched that scene just mm. with the sound muted. It's not at all the same. Like you, it, it, all of a sudden the cutaways are so much more obvious. Yeah. There's less mind tricks kind of playing with you when you're just watching what's going on versus watching and hearing it. Because the the sound in this is so good, I think it's like one of those things. Like the sound in this film is almost better than the film itself. 
Because it makes you really believe that, like, you're seeing and hearing things. Well, you're seeing things that you're not really seeing. Yeah. And you see it a lot done, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, there's plenty of films that, that have mastered that art of the cutaway where mm-hmm. less is more. But this one gives... he Eli Roth is really good in this one of just giving you just enough to make you really think that you're seeing it. Yeah. Before cutting back. And then the sound just brings everything, cements it all together. I think it's a really, really good example of, of just brilliant sound design. Um, Paxton wakes up on the floor of a storage closet where he fell asleep and in, and returns to his hostel. In his room, he's greeted by two women who invite him to the spot. Well, remember, they, they thought he had checked out, or yeah. they were saying they thought he had checked out. Uh, because at this point, they assumed that he was gone. gone. Yeah. yeah, that he was going to be tortured or killed along with, with his friend. Um, he was he, out for delivery, supposedly. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, he comes back. He finds two women literally doing the exact same thing that uh, Natalia and Svetlana were doing when they first walked in. Yep. Coincidentally, had their shirts off. Were just turning around enough to make it seem like it was an accident that they got walked in on. Oh, they say no. This, yeah, they say the same line. So you want to come to spa? Uh, they. So he realizes there's something not right here. This doesn't just happen coincidentally twice. Shit, it doesn't just happen coincidentally once, <laughs> and that should have been enough of a red flag for you, but but twice is... <laughs> you fool me once. Oh, man, Alexei was you. right. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you just write some... Back. Alexei, that, buddy! That, that weird fucking tweaker that opens the pussy through Europe was right. <laughs> uh... So yeah, they invite him to the spa in an eerily similar manner, manner to N- Natalia and Svetlana. He finds Natalia and Svetlana and asks them if they know where Josh is. Natalia agrees to lead him to Josh and takes him to an old factory. There, Paxton sees Josh's mutilated corpse being stitched together by the Dutch businessman, and he is then captured and dragged by several ro- or several rooms down where other people are being gruesomely tortured. He is restrained in a chair and is prepped to be tortured by a cl- client named Johan. While cutting off Paxton's fingers, Johan unintentionally removes his restraints. As Paxton gets off the chair, Johan charges at him, but slips on blood and falls over, uh, severing his own leg with the chainsaw. This was much more funny than I remembered it being. Yeah. I, like it was definitely one of those. It's it watching it now. It's clearly meant to be a bit of black black humor thrown in with everything oh, else. Yeah. Uh, but well, I remember like being so mortified at everything else that had gone on when I first saw this in theaters that I was like not at all in the mood to laugh. So that it kind of like punched or missed the punch for me. Yeah, but I mean, this is another perfect example of just the sound design in this movie. So Paxton is you know begging and pleading with Johan, saying mm-hmm. like. You'll never sleep at night. Like you don't need to do this. You'll mm-hmm. never forget about this. You'll never be able to sleep. It's gonna you know fuck with you forever. And Johan walks out of the room. Yeah, and leaves him there. Yep. Um, and you know it's like that weird audit like auditorium kind of sounds of like you hear that chainsaw revving up. And like you you hear that starts to rev up in the hallway. You got you know Paxton trying to break out of his restraints, and then just the that fucking just super loud like reverberating echoing chainsaw the entire time that's still somehow running even though nobody's holding it after mm-hmm. after the the safety there weren't safety built the built-in safety st- things for those for those old chainsaws like the ones that he's holding i guess i don't know i guess not but uh yeah just another great example of the sound and design um, yeah but yeah. this one you actually see when and so this is another thing is like the the visual horror ramps up 
throughout the movie. It does, yeah. Um, Because this one, you actually see the chainsaw go right through Mm -hmm. his hands, and suddenly he's down two and a half fingers. Yep. Um, But it's all in like like a split second. Yeah, it's all real fast. But then you see him slip, and the chainsaw flies up and lands down on him, and like... Is it his leg or his waist? It's, or his, it's like his leg near the hip. Okay. Uh, yeah, the chainsaw is like dug in there, and then it kind of like starts running around on its own like yeah. a little cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get a couple of shots of him just laying there like mm-hmm. <clears throat> pointing in different directions because his body's not all in one piece. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's just shock. like the, the, the visceral like gore ramps up throughout the movie. And yeah. the, the last one we see is a lot more... Uh, it's probably the most graphic one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Paxton reaches for a gun and shoots Johan in the head and proceeds to kill a guard, uh, leaving the room. He passes by a room where a man is getting rid of a mutilated corpse into an incinerator and kills him with a sledgehammer. He uh, finds an elevator to the top floor and enters the dressing room. Uh, well, it, it's important to note that he does play like a little bit of like a game of cat and mouse trying to keep his own fingers, but the poor bastard can't <laughs> hold on to him. <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> Just holding a clip. His fingers are the last like beacon of hope that he has that yeah. he's like going to manage to like survive as like a whole person at the end of this. It's, it's, it's not happening physically or, or, or psychologically, man. I'm just telling you that right now. Uh, he finds the elevator to the top floor and enters a dressing room where he changes into business clothes and finds a business card for the Elite Hunting Club, which is an organization where rich people pay to kill and mutilate tourists. On the way out, Paxton discovers Kana, who is being disfigured with a blowtorch. Paxton kills the client and flees with Kana in a stolen car. Pursued by guards while driving, Paxton sees Natalia, Svetlana, and Alexei, and he runs the three of them over in what was possibly the fakest-looking car accident <laughs> I've, I've ever seen put to screen, uh, killing them all. Uh, to- so Kana's disfigurement is probably the most graphic one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so she's she's... She's strapped to a chair and getting a blowtorch over her face, right? Yeah, and her, her so they have to cut her, he has to cut off her eye because it's dangling from, from uh, what do you call the, I don't know, the retina? The retina is dangling from the cord that attaches yeah. it to the skull. Yeah. So she has to cut it, he has to cut that off, and then in classic Nicotero fashion, like all this just spurts vanilla pudding just, out. It's just pouring out of her <laughs> eye socket. Um, the two manage to make it to the train station. Kana, seeing her disfigured face, kills herself. By leaping in front of an oncoming train. So this is where the movie changes depending on which one you've seen. Yeah. So I watched for this week, I watched the director's cut because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen the director's ending before. Mm-hmm. Everything up until this point is exactly the same in the two movies. Right. Did you watch the director's one or did you watch the theatrical one? I watched the director's one okay. this time around. But okay. I mean, I've I've seen this theatrical one. Yeah. So yeah, it splits here. Uh, the theatrical release... Um, well, we'll continue on. I'll kind of yeah. point out where it branches. Um after Kana kills herself by jumping onto an into an oncoming train, um, Paxton takes advantage of the commotion and boards another train unnoticed. Aboard, Paxton hears the voice of the Dutch businessman. I like to eat the food with, with my, my hands. hands. I feel like the people have lost their connection to the food. <laughs> yes. Take that, ASMR. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's literally giving... 
is it, it, what a smug motherfucker, dude. He's literally giving everybody they that all he do. sits next to They're just like, like every the same single speech. person in this movie is using the exact same script. It's fucking Amazon customer service. <laughs> this movie is Amazon. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, Jeff Bezos is the head of the rich people hunting club, whatever it's called. <laughs> The elite, the elite hunting the club, elite hunting club, which somehow has a worse name than the rich people hunting club. <laughs> uh, all right, so he takes advantage of the commotion. Bodes another train. Here's uh, the businessman making his his spiel about food. And when the train stops in Vienna, Austria, Paxton follows him to a public restroom and kills him. Well, this is so. This is where the split happens. Yeah. So in the in the theatrical release of this. Paxton follows him into a, into the men's bathroom, and uh, he had stolen a scalpel yep. from the torture house, yep. the torture warehouse, and uh, uses it to cut off two of his fingers and slit his throat, right? Yep. Uh, and then proceeds to drown him in his own piss in the, the urinal that he was using. Yes. While he bleeds out and stuff, and then walks away. And that's the end of that film. The director's cut is a much darker in my opinion, ending. Yes. Uh, than, than the theatrical cut of this film. This was also supposed to be the original ending, and it didn't play well, right? So there was a different version of this that was the original ending. So okay. the original ending, Eli Roth says that uh, the original script, Jay... So, uh, well, here, tell say what the director's cut ending ended up being. I'll okay, so in it. the director's cut, uh, Paxton instead follows, realizes that, that uh, the, the businessman is with his daughter. So the businessman and the daughter split off to use the bathroom. She goes and uses the women's restroom. He goes and uses the men's restroom. He comes out of the men's restroom just fine. So it sets it up to make you think that he's about to go kill... This is businessman. Yeah. Because he's following them in towards the, where the restrooms are. He sees the businessman going to the west restroom. And you can see for a split second that he actually thinks about it. Because the businessman finds the scalpel that he had stolen mm-hmm. from the warehouse on the counter of the uh, bathroom. Yeah. But he's like, I don't know where this came from. Just kind of ignores it. Says, like, hmm. And, like, walks out of the bathroom. Waits outside of the women's bathroom. Starts asking people who are coming out of the women's bathroom. Hey, have you seen a girl in there? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then after, like, a few more minutes, he goes into the women's restroom himself. And realizes that he can't find his daughter anywhere. Finds her teddy bear, though. Finds her teddy bear. We cut to Paxton holding his hand over the daughter's mouth. She's screaming and squirming, and everybody on the train is somehow ignoring... Yeah, some (laughs) random white boy (laughs) with a screaming, crying child in his lap. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, the train takes off, and... And that's that's where it ends. It makes no sense to the... Dr. Businessman freaks out. Yeah, Um, it makes no sense when you try to connect it with Hostel 2, because... Yeah. You know, because... Um, So in the original script, uh, apparently... All of that still happens. Uh, the difference was Jay slits the little girl's throat. Ooh. So, yeah. In the original script, he kills the daughter, um, but then changed his mind saying, I ultimately didn't buy that um, because I don't think that character would do it. Instead, by taking the little girl, he knew that that would torture the guy. Um, but test audiences, not that they didn't like that potential ending. Mm-hmm. They got caught up in the logic of what happens to the girl after the train leaves. Yeah. And because at that point, like everything you've seen that gets super dark, super fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently Eli Roth didn't want that to be 
what people left the theaters with. In the yeah, night. I mean, I can imagine that. You know, you've established you're trying to establish Paxton as the good guy that manages to get away. And if he takes the daughter, then all of a sudden he's not the good guy anymore. Because yeah, the question, the big question then is like, all right, what is, what's he going to do with a fucking ten year old kid? What else? He's going to kill her. He's either going to kill her or he's just going to take that train to wherever and just like ditch her on the street somewhere. I like this ending a little more because it shows that he's broken. Yeah. As a result, I feel like that's a little bit more real- realistic, and then him yeah. just like making it out, killing the person that he saw do everything to him, and then kind of sail off into the sunset right like i feel like we get that a lot with this genre mm-hmm. that there has to be some sort of oh this that is the happy ending for this kind of a movie right the yeah. audiences get to know the fact that whoever was doing this was ultimately destroyed as a consequence of of his actions right yeah we don't get that with this it's just a, a fragile broken person who's gone through a series of traumatic events lashing out because he's too much of a coward to face this person head on, and so he lashes out in the only way that he knows how. Yeah, and so it shows that like, well, yeah, because it's a no, power, like, it's a position of power. So yeah. like, the rich man has all of his money, and that's how Paxton becomes the victim in the first place. Paxton doesn't have that money, but he's bigger than a ten year old, so that's his position of power. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, depending on which version you watch, that's kind of both endings for you. I think I prefer the director's cut version. Yeah. Over the theatrical version. Um, it just seems to be more along the I I don't know, I really like the ambiguity of the ending. I really like kind of like, well, where's this gonna go? But the second you turn on hostile too, it all ties into the theatrical cut, which makes sense considering that was the Yeah, and I mean without but like if you exclude Hostile too, like even even if you go with the theatrical cut for this, okay, Paxton's killed Dutch businessman Dutch Dutch Jeff Bezos, but I, he's still missing a couple fingers. He's still seen his presumably best friend in multiple pieces. He's right. lived through hell. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no getting back from that. Yeah, there's either way. He's he still walks out of this a broken human being. Either mm-hmm. now the proud owner of a ten year old child, or having killed the person that was responsible for the death of his friend, along with killing the person that cut off his hands. Killing the person with the sledgehammer, like it, he's not really redeemable either way. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think I think him trying to rescue uh, Kana was kind of his chance. Yeah, when she redemption. gave when she gave up, I think he knew that there was just, there was nothing left. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing left for them to save. So that's the end of the movie. Um, this is an interesting one. Like you said, Sam, it kind of is is been credited with kickstarting the por- torture porn movement in the early to mid-2000s. Horror kind of went through this bit of an extreme kick, yeah. uh, exploring avenues of torture and mayhem not portrayed on screen since the ban-happy exploitation era of the 70s and 80s. Looking back on it, though, do you really think that torture porn was a thing? Uh, or is it just kind of a new way for the media to recycle the same tired storylines under a fresh coat of paint? Uh, same thing, not even a fresh coat of paint. Same coat of paint, just called a different color. Yeah. Um, so the term torture porn was actually supposedly coined uh, January 26th, 2006, mm-hmm. in an article for New York Magazine by David Edelstein. Mm-hmm. Um, the article's okay. Um, it is what it is, but here's, a, here's the one quote that kind of spells it out. 
Uh, it might be, as a screenwriter friend argues, that this trend is mainly a way of ratcheting, ratcheting up the stakes that in the quest to have a visceral impact, actual viscera are the final frontier. Certainly, television has become the place for forensic fetishism, but torture movies cut deeper than mere gory spectacle. Unlike mm-hmm. the old 70s and 80s hack-em-ups or their jokey remakes like Scream, fuck this guy, uh, <laughs> in which masked maniacs punished nubile teens for promiscuity, mm-hmm. uh, where the spurt of blood was the equivalent to the money shot in porn, the victims here are neither interchangeable nor expendable. Uh, he does continue arguing, though, that post 9-11, we've engaged in a national debate about the morality of torture fueled by horrifying pictures of manifestly decent men and women mm-hmm. enacting brutal scenarios of domination at places like Abu Ghraib. Uh, and a large segment of the population evidently has no problem with this. Um, so the way that I view, you know, this movie being credited is the the kickstarting moment for torture porn. Yep. You know, we've talked endlessly over a number of movies about how horror films mirror the sociopolitical state at the time. Uh, you know, in the seventies, things like the Texas chainsaw massacre or last house on the left, uh, coincided nicely with the anxiety around Vietnam slasher films in the eighties, uh, including things like the nightmare on Elm street, uh, mirrored cold war fears with the unknown, big, bad, faceless, unkillable monster, lurking it behind you at all times. Um, this, I guess, torture porn genre um, was nothing new. We there, There's a whole list of movies going all the way back to the 70s um, and even still coming out now that could easily be classified as torture porn. This boom coincided with 9-11, uh, where the Bush administration supported torture to get results. Dick Cheney remarked that waterboarding techniques were just a dunk in the water. People regularly saw images of places like Abu Ghraib or um, Guantanamo, where prisoners were being sexually abused, tortured, and humiliated by U.S. Army personnel. Um, And this is how our generation grew up. This is what we grew up with. So seeing, you know, a a whole generation of movies come out, um, I guess some of the bigger ones, like the, the two big franchises in the U.S. were this and Saw. Yep. Um, but well, it's interesting though, right? Like, because Saw came out the year beforehand. Yeah. But this is the one that kind of sparked the torture porn phrase. Sparked the whole like, is it because this was sequential, like not sequential, but it came out after Saw, so now we had two mainstream films mm-hmm. that were breaking it into the spotlight. Uh, I think also though that because both kind of focused on torture is that what caused it or why I, don't you think the, ultimately the question is why don't you think Saw because I think pioneered the, this? I think the first Saw was di- because of how different it was from the other ones that came after it. Where the other ones it was an evident somebody else is doing this to me, right? Whereas in the first one it's a couple of guys locked in a dirty fucking bathroom, right? That are doing it to themselves, yeah, out of necessity. But, yeah, I mean, it's still fucking torture. Um, but, I mean, and so the Saw franchise, apparently, I learned this today, 81 murders <laughs> across the whole series. Um, uh, God, it feels like it should be higher. Yeah, apparently it's only 81. <laughs> okay. Um, but That's still a lot. That, that is still a lot. Eight, um, nine movies? But to give an idea of, you know kind of why this movie stands out in, you know, the American lexicon as torture porn or kicking off that genre is saw and 
the Saw franchise and this franchise are really the two big American torture porn franchises. Right. Whereas, you know, if you go back to 1975, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. I know we've talked about it. Uh, Salo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bloodsucking Freaks in 1976, mm-hmm. Funny Games in 97, mm-hmm. movies that we have covered, like The Audition in 99, um, one of my favorite movies, also Takashi Miike won Ichi the Killer in 2001. Um, I don't know that you'd classify either of those as torture porn, though. They've got long, elongated scenes of torture, but I don't know, that, like, they... Especially the audition, because 90% of that movie isn't even... Like, it's like the last no, 15 minutes. No, it's the last minutes. 15 minutes. Um Ichi the Killer is still just as graphic. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, but the cutoff point for what was considered torture porn was 2005. It was Saw and this. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, we have things like The Hills Have Eyes. We got Grotesque in 2009, The Collector in 2009, a Serbian film in 2010. Um, most of what's considered French extremism. So Martyrs, yeah. Inside, Irreversible. Uh, you know, movies we've talked about, the Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. tapes, Human Centipede in 2009, House of a Thousand Corpses, Wolf Creek. What was it? Teristas <clears throat> came out like the year after Hostel. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that like you, I've never actually seen any articles. I haven't come across any articles talking about the, you know, the legacy of what's considered torture porn in America when uh, viewed from outside of the United States, where a lot of these movies actually were made, uh, where the directors are from, where the content's from, uh, don't hear about it nearly as much in the context of like, it's just torture porn. Um, yeah. Well, see, now it's such like a negative thing. I remember back in the day when that when that phrase was first coined yeah. amongst gorehounds or amongst like people who really loved like it was like, like a badge of graphic. honor yeah, yeah, watch yeah. It, was, it, it was oh this is a torture porn movie let's check it out yeah and then that kind of like whittled down and whittled down until it became a bit of like a, it was almost kind of bad to be branded just a, another torture but i think people just got bored of it eli know? roth fucking hated it the day he heard it I'm sure he did. Uh, he did an interview with uh, Ain't It Cool News yeah. uh, where he said it immediately discredits the film. It's more reflective of the critic than the film. Showing a lack of understanding and ability to understand and appreciate a horror film is something more than just a horror film where the gore blinds them from any intelligence that goes into making the film. And I think that the term torture porn genuinely says more about the critic's limited understanding of what a horror movie can do than about the film itself. I would agree from that with that statement if it came from anybody else but the man who directed Knock Knock. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like I, I, I do. I, I sympathize with. It. I do uh, because I think I think Cabin Fever was a great film. Yeah. I think Hostel Two is actually a really really good movie. Uh, I think I think he had glimpses of brilliance. Yeah. And and there would have been a point in time where I would have gone to bat for him yeah i think he knows his shit when it comes to horror i think he makes some pretty profound statements i've i've regularly quoted the fact that that he's the one that that basically said that that horror reflects what's going on politically mm-hmm. um but damn it to say that somebody classifying something as torture porn is a like a, a mark of limited intelligence might be <laughs> a little bit of like a you're you're overcompensating. <laughs> well, I don't think he's saying limited intelligence. I think it's you walk in, you hear about a movie like this, and you've got generally one of two reactions: one, I need to see it, yeah, or two, you just turn your brain off immediately. And you're like, there's it, it has zero merit. What is the merit of making a movie like this? Yeah, no, I mean, I would, I would, I would, well, see, like, there's the. 
Because this I mean, is one of those. I think if you just take Hostel the first one at face value, I can understand the lack of merit. I guess something like this. You start getting down the rabbit hole though in Hostel two, and even with parts of Hostel three, yeah. and you realize that it that it is almost like the John Wick, you know, series of films that are going on right now. Yeah, they're films that take place in one mysterious isolated location that have ties to a greater organization all over the world and every single film that you watch reveals a little another little piece of that story Mm -hmm. and i think as soon as roth realized that he needed to start tapping into the lore behind it and not focus so much on the torture which is what the second one does i mean we get some great kills in the second one yeah but it's not as focused on torture and the kills are much more creative Right. It's not just taking a power drill to somebody. It's not just taking a circular saw to somebody. Although that does happen mm-hmm. in the second one. We get that awesome fucking kill with the scythe at the beginning of the second film where she's just like bathing in blood like she's some fucking like I don't know, Transylvanian duchess or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, we got a little bit of creativity with it. We got we got it was a, an opportunity for Roth to kind of branch out there. There was a lot more black humor. Um but I think I th- the characters were a lot more compelling, but the but the organization was dug into a lot more. Yeah. And I think that's what really made this series appeal to horror fans. It was here in the first one, but you had to dig for it. It was like playing a Dark Souls game, you know? Like, the lore exists, but you had to look for it. I don't think the lore was necessary, though, in the first one. I think if, like, if... If ho- if there, if this was a universe where Hostile 2 and Hostile 3 don't exist, mm-hmm. and all we were left with was this one... Mm-hmm. Because of the basic nature of the kills, it it's more grounded and realistic. The idea right. of a guy with shaky hands who couldn't be a surgeon getting his hands on a bunch of surgical equipment and slowly dissecting, dissecting a human being, somebody, yeah. or taking a power drill or a paint a chainsaw, mm-hmm. uh, you know, household wares. It it's a much more grounded approach to it and mm-hmm. much more identifiable. Yeah. You're well, not I mean, often gonna see someone wandering around with a scythe. Well, yeah, but I think that's part of the reason that like the second one was so cool, because you got like a, a, a dichotomy between the two, right? Like cause uh, you know, in the second one it follows those those two douchers, one who's like kind of following his friend, mm-hmm. and then the tables turn halfway through the film. But they're the ones who are grounded, right? Because they're the ones who are taking circular saws to it. They're the ones who are just trying to use some power tools and just just do damage to a human being. Yeah. But we get like the rich, rich people, the ones who are just like, I want to bathe in somebody's blood. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Or the ones who are like literal. You and you get glimpses of how like the auctions work and how like many people there are that are involved in this. And it's one of those things, especially uh, um, they kind of show some of the inner workings of the hostel itself, just like like going back to John Wick, how you see little bigger and bigger pieces of the inner work of the of the hotel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what keep kind of keeps me coming back to this franchise. I wouldn't I would love to see somebody do a graphic novel based on these. I really would. That could be pretty cool. It could be. It could because I really do think that that he inadvertently created a world that could be tapped into. Yeah. And that would be my one argument for saying, hey, maybe Hollywood should revisit this because of the fact that, like, 
I think audiences are, are are really in tune right now with franchises that keep giving them a little bit more to dip into yeah. right now. Um, um, and this could be one of them. I don't know if Hollywood could really touch something like this right now, and not not, not just because of the content itself. I think it's just a different time. Yeah, because I, I because mean, again, like the refor- like the socio political reflection that you see in horror movies now, compared to fifteen years ago, uh, you know, are you talking about like the way uh, what was it the hunt or whatever was received earlier and how that had to be because held I, back and because I mean really none of us know the hunt could have easily been a spiritual successor to this. I mean, it seems like it's from, kind of what they were going for. Yeah, from what it sounded like, that's exactly what this was. Yeah, minus, um, minus such a focus on the, the, torture, the torture part, but it's still rich people hunting, paying to hunt. collar people. Yeah. Or people who don't or people, have just the people. ability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but now, you know, the, the big movies now or, thing, or the big events, like the Purge franchise. Yeah. There's what, three movies and a TV show? Yeah, season two. Yeah. Um, so you've got The Purge. You've got pretty much anything that um, Jordan Peele is touching mm-hmm. uh, because that reflects the current sociopolitical climate. I don't think this movie or this franchise fits right now. Maybe. Yeah. I think you could make it fit, though. I would love to see it as a graphic novel now that you mentioned it, though. It wouldn't that be fucking cool? I'd um, read the hell out of that, man. But to give an idea, uh, like, to kind of give an idea on, you know, would this even make money? You know, obviously there's all sorts of distribution channels now. You've got Hulu, you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon, you've got all sorts of shit online, Shutter, whatever. Mm-hmm. The Guardian wrote an article, I guess as a pseudo review for Jigsaw when that came out in 2017. Right. Uh, primarily focusing on the Saw franchise mm-hmm. as a whole, but it still applies to this. Uh, being summed up in this direct quote, torture porn was one of the least accessible horror subgenres where the casual cinema goer was less open to watching a woman's insides fill with acid over, say, a ghost knock over a kitchen cabinet. Which is why in just four interconnected chapters, the Conjuring franchise has already made about $300 million more than all seven Saw movies, where the niche nihilism was also off-putting to critics, with none of the sequels beating the first film's middling 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think some of that has to do with the fact that the Saw franchise was too long, too convoluted, and didn't need to exist in that yeah, format. Yeah. But it also does kind of paint a picture where, like, we talk about it all the time. The Conjuring franchise universe just fucking prints money. Prints money. I don't understand it. And no, nobody gets it. We have no idea why. At least we don't get it internally. Yeah. You're literally like like putting the spotlight on a bunch of hacks. And while I say that while I say that, I do really believe that the very first conjuring movie was a legitimately great film. Yeah. The second one was good, but it hit the same notes. Everything else that I've seen as a part of that franchise has been mediocre at best. Yeah. And that's being nice. But they've got, what, three, four new ones in the works? Four, yeah. I mean, um, they're, they're, but that's another thing, you know. But that's they what, they that's... hit their universe, they hit their peg, and now they're letting the audience dip its toes in all these different aspects of it. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a presentation of, of the viscerality of it. I but guess, I think that's, that's also just partly a reflection of where we are right now. I mean, you look, uh, you know, all these stupid bullshit viral online stories about what the millennial kids are doing now. Where, you know, Slender Man, everything's supernatural oriented or alien based or sociopolitical 
right now because that's what fits with what people are experiencing on a day-to-day basis and how and what they're looking for. Yeah. Where you know or do you think 9/11 it's 911 was almost 20 years ago and we're not seeing, you know, constant footage of the war in Iraq or in Iran or, you know, yes, and you know, everything's still going on with Syria and ISIS was not that long ago, but it's not nearly as prevalent on a day-to-day basis as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that we're not necessarily as uh, desensitized as we used to be. So I think seeing something like this now would be actually somewhat more jarring than it was 15 years ago. Do you, I was going to say, do you think it actually has to do with that? Or do you think it's just because it's, it's as a genre, something like this hits too close to home? For instance, like we live in an age post post. What, what the hell were the names of those fucking... The video of that gang of kids like beating somebody to death with a hammer. Oh, no, three kids, about. three kids, one hammer, or some shit. Yeah, there was a play, like it was a played off the like two girls, one cup thing. Yeah, you know that came out. There was there was the guy who killed his his. Uh, what what was it? She was like a lab partner or something. I don't know. Uh, killed his Asian lab partner mm-hmm. and um, ate her. Oh, yeah. That happened back in, what, 2012? Yeah. Do you think maybe these things people are kind of realizing maybe they're they're too close to actually possibly existing? Whereas with ghosts or with, you know, supernatural entities or stuff like Get Out, where it's got a lot of sociopolitical commentary and stuff on top of it interweaved into it, it's more of a safe presentation of it versus something like, Oh, this is just a guy with a circular saw taking advantage of somebody who can't escape. Yeah, and it, it easily could be. I mean, if you, and again, I, that, that's why I'm really disappointed that uh, the studio that did it, which I'm blanking on right now, bailed on the hunt. Uh, I know Bloomhouse was a part of it, uh, or at least Jason Bloom was attached to it. Yep. Because I think that movie, I think the concept behind that movie at least does speak to, you know, the modern feelings of inequality and the fact that, yeah, you know, sometimes even, even if you're not being hunted down by some rich person, even if you're not, you know, bought and sold for the sadistic pleasure of some random, uh, you know, European Jeff Bezos, sometimes you just feel like you can't get a leg up no matter what it is you're doing. And I think in that, within that idea, even if it is like a torture based kind of movie, like a franchise like this, yeah. That idea does exist, and it's explored a bit in the second one. I think it does still fit. I think you're also probably right that it might hit a little too close to home, because we see, you know, there's always the questions of the, you know, the ongoing arguments of like violence and media being responsible for the, you know, violence in every day. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I don't think any major studio would ever touch this again. Um, yeah, I, maybe at, you're the, right. at the very least, I don't think it's ever going to end up in theaters. Yeah, I, I imagine if it was done again, it would be like Hostel Three, where it was like a VOD yeah. type of thing. I um, think, fortunately for its sake, though, that nowadays there's a much wider distribution channel. Yeah, for could, you know, direct to video. I could see Netflix possibly giving this a chance. I don't know. I don't know about Netflix. I could see it on Hulu, though. Hulu's... I, I've spent a lot of time lately watching things on Hulu, and they 
don't really seem to give a shit about what's on there. Could also mm. see it being like a Shutter exclusive as well. Yeah, Shutter was going to be my next my next one. Um, but hey, share your thoughts on this. Let us know your 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 ideas on whether or not something like that was was the torture porn movement was that a product of its time? How how well do you think it holds up these days? And do you think that there's room for it in today's horror atmosphere, or do you think it's it's one of those things that's destined to stay low budget? Do you underground? Th- do you think this is any trashier or you know considering it's considered it's called torture porn do you think it's any more graphic than any of like the video nasties we've covered hostile in particular yeah it's definitely it's definitely like new york ripper compare it to like poughkeepsie tapes it's definitely more graphic than some of the ones we've covered there were a whole bunch that were put on the video nasties list that really didn't have any place being there. Right. Um, but yeah, it's great. I, I think it kind of depends on the ones that you're talking about. I would put New York Ripper above this one for sure. Yeah. That movie is just mean and sadistic throughout the entirety of the film. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one attempts to not be that way. Um, okay. I mean, there's there's plenty of old, gross fucking movies out there. Yeah, that that definitely, and there's plenty of new, up and coming movies that have come out since that yeah. are that are infinitely more sadistic and disgusting than this film is. Yeah, I think that's um, kind of my takeaway. Don't if you know, because one of the guys I was talking to this past weekend, he likes more psychological horror. Yeah. So what did I direct him to? Martyrs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know, dude. That <laughs> oh, you like psychological horror? Here, watch Martyrs. I don't. I don't know, man. There's a lot of people that that would. Yes, I. While I agree with you, I don't know. If that's the one. I yes, yeah. I also. Hey, to I also told out. him Mandy. Okay. Um. So it wasn't. I wasn't just trying to ruin his fucking night. Um. <laughs> um but I, don't. I. I genuinely hope that he managed to find martyrs somewhere, <laughs> and that I guess, he's watching it now, and it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I guess my big takeaway is, you know, if if you're into horror movies, or even if you're not, and you hear someone start talking about torture porn, don't let the name throw you, because there yeah, are plenty of movies that predated this by decades. And there are plenty of movies that are still coming out now that are way more graphic yeah. and way more visceral than yeah. anything that happened in this franchise. I mean, I Spit on Your Grave is one that I would definitely throw in the torture porn thing. I yeah. mean, it's in the Rape and Revenge also, but like, it's definitely like methodical. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been plenty of stuff. Last House on the Left, I, I, yep. especially the original one. Yeah. I'd, I'd put that in there. Uh, you know, there's been plenty of stuff that's come out sense and will <laughs> and came out way before you know we had the the vomit gore trilogy murder set pieces yep. august underground yep you know that kind of stuff um i don't know there's there's plenty of it left and right but for some reason certain films get classified in there and certain ones don't um yep. that being said what would you give this i'm gonna give this two and a quarter sneepers Two and a quarter okay i uh, i give it a 275 so that makes it a 2.5 all right across the board feels right uh, yeah, it does feel right. It does feel right. Um, that wraps it up. It's a bit late. We understand you, dear listeners, are, are like the child trapped in the throes of a fresh divorce. We're the deadbeat dads that mean well but continue to do nothing but disappoint you at every fresh turn. Go ask your mom. Suck it up, buttercups. Life <laughs> is disappointment. <laughs> that being said, tentatively, we are going to be releasing a new episode on Friday. Uh, 
Next week, we're covering The Slumber Party Massacre, a film that truly stands the test of time, one that has touched the vast empires of our hearts and has soared past our expectations time and time again, proving that it deserves to be considered a horror masterpiece, standing directly in lines with film, or line with films such as Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, and Blood Rage. Man, I can't wait to drill deep into this one, <laughs> to bore our ways into the essence of this of this film. Oh God, what a movie! Have you ever seen the second one? No. Oh my God, you gotta watch. You need to watch both. Am of I them. gonna watch both? You of need them? to watch both because the second one's just such a mind fuck of a movie. No. <laughs> You're just like, how the fuck did this even get out? How was this even released? Who said that this was a good idea? <laughs> no, that happens sometimes. It you does. Know? It does. Uh... So, you can follow us individually. I'm Palmer at Sturmsworth. I'm Sam at Sam Heaves. Uh, you can email us also. We're cast at terrorinpodnito.com. We've got a website, uh, terrorinpodnito.com. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Good episode. 104. Finally. Finally done. Was it 104? <laughs> yeah, 103. 104. 104. Uh, finally done. So... We'll see you later that's, this week. That's two actual years of episodes. That is two actual years of episodes. Not that fake episode 100 shit we did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, the numbers are even. People like that, you know. It's just, <laughs> it is what it is. All right, Sam. All right. Life is disappointment. <laughs> I remember I said that earlier, holding you to it, too. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. And as always, keep it creepy. We'll catch you all next week or later this week. Yeah.